All right, seven minutes past 12 from America 91.7, Nigeria's first and only radio station for women and their families. Today is Thursday, day seven in the month of December 2023. How have you been? How has the day been for you? I really do hope that your day has been lovely. My name is Blessing Agbeto, and yesterday happens to be the day 13 of the 16 days of activism with the theme Unite invest to prevent violence against women and girls. The 16 Days of Activism is a global campaign which started on November 25, being the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, and it will end on December 10, being the Human Rights Day. Now, this year, Women Radio 91.7 decided to spotlight first responders who provide first-hand help and support to survivors of sexual and gender based violence. You can be a part of the conversation by calling us on 07000-917-917. Send us a text and a WhatsApp message on 0703-175-6537. Sending your contributions to our social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, on X, on YouTube, WFM 917. You can also log into our website www.wfm917.com That is how you can be a part of the conversation. Yes, like I said earlier, today is the day 13 of the 16 days of activism and we will be discussing a first responder story. We get to examine the work that has been done so far, the success, the challenges and the way forward in ending violence against women and girls. Now in Nigeria of today, gender-based violence has become a critical issue with alarming rates of physical and sexual violence among women aged 15 to 49. Now, according to research, one in four girls and one in 10 boys experience sexual violence before 18. And that leaves us with 43% of girls who face um, child marriage, exposing them to higher risks. Now, challenges include human trafficking, female genital mutilation, conflict-related sexual violence, which are notably in these areas affected by Boko Haram insurgency and all of that. Now, despite all of these distressing statistics, there are organizations that have persisted in addressing these issues so through awareness campaigns, legal reforms, and support services for survivors. Now, respondents to gender and sexual-based violence typically include um, a range of professionals and organizations, which include law enforcement agencies, health care providers, social workers, counselors, non-governmental organizations, advocacy groups, and helplines that have specifically been designed to support survivors of such violence. Now, these survive these um, responders offer various services which include crisis intervention, medical assistance, legal aid, counseling, and support networks to survivors of gender and uh, sexual-based violence. So today, on our on our first responder story uh, for the day 13 of the 16 days of activism, our first responder story that we'll be taking a look at today is from. Manuela Azu, that is the head of programs, Women Advocates Research and Documentation Center, Ward C. Um, hello, Emanuela. Good to have you on the show today. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Emanuela. Good afternoon. How are you doing? 
Very well, thank you. I'm good All right. to have you. Thank you. It's so good to have you on the show today. So, Emmanuel, let's delve into the conversation already. Today's death day 13 of the 16 days of activism. Now, let's talk about your organization. How have you been responding to gender-based violence so far, especially in the locality where you work? Oh, okay. Um, my organization would see that women advocate research and documentation center we work actually as a national organization okay so it means that we work across the 36 states in nigeria though we may not be physically present okay. in the 36 states of nigeria but we still have structures that still carry on the work we do across the states in nigeria so what we do basically as an organization and just like as our name depicts women advocates research and documentation center so we Litigate women's rights. We do. We carry out lots of research work to understudy the root causes and prevalence and all sorts around sexual and gender-based violence. We also do a lot of documentation as well, and then we advocate for policies and laws that also promote and protect the rights of women and girls in Nigeria generally. And how do we do that? We work with, like I said earlier, we work across the taxi state. So we have several structures on ground. We have the paralegal structure and we have the community response team. The paralegal structure was the foremost um, structure that we had where we trained local people within the communities to have basic knowledge of the law, to be able to understand violations of human rights. Because most of, most of the time, when these violations occur, people are very ignorant. They are not aware, they are not conscious that these acts are violations of rights and these violations also translates to gender-based violence. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we train local people within the community to understand, to identify um, abuses and gender-based violence and also be able to respond to them. And so this community, this training started across the Northwest and um, Southwest Nigeria. That was how it all started before it expanded to all, um, all across almost all the states in Nigeria. We are present in about 18 states in Nigeria, spread across the six geopolitical zones in Nigeria. And so, and then we also have um, the community response team. The community response team is a broader structure. Within the community response team, we have, and so the community, the, so we had to reinvent the wheel to see what we can do beyond the paralegal structure. So that was why the community response team came to be. So the community response team, like I said, Ella, is a broader structure that has um, traditional rulers, it has um, religious leaders, it has um, market leaders, and also it has the community people. So this team is, um, is a bit, the composition of the community response team is a bit different from the composition of the Paraliga because this is, it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress to see the best alternative that could help to resolve and address issues of gender-based violence and so that's why the um community response team they are there they're basically in the southwest nigeria and then um, so what they do they also work within the communities they respond to violations of uh, human rights and gender-based violence as well and where necessary where they are not able to resolve the issues they escalate there's a referral system there's a referral pathway in place whereby they do referrals for litigations and other follow-up as well Mm -hmm. All right. Um, thank you very, very much. That is so, so detailed. So let me ask you, what has your experience been like when it comes to dealing with survivors of gender-based violence? What are some of the common perception, the common facts and facts and all of that? Oh, and so the, um, it has not been um, 
I can't say there is a particular dimension that they actually take. So each victim, we take each victim as they come, and each victim is very unique, and the experiences are very unique. But generally, there is this apathy towards uh, litigation for most victims. And the reason being that most of the time, the victims are economically disempowered. Mm. They are not financially buoyant enough to be able to stand on their ground. So there's usually this apathy, there's usually this fear that, oh, what if we go to court and then what happens? How am I able to provide? Am I, particularly when children are involved in a relationship. Because, and again, maybe one of the things I should have said is that one of the things that um, when we talk about gender-based violence, it's not peculiar to a family relationship alone. It's not only between a husband and wife. It's also between, uh, it also happens between within the public space as well. Like co-workers, it also happens within the community. It also happens even when they are not um, like living lovers. It's also, there's also a very huge percentage of uh, domestic violence between living lovers, like living partners as well. So most of the time, but very often, when <clears throat> the violence involves a woman with children, there's this huge reluctance that is a bit very common to to pull out of the scene of the violence because most of the time we realize that most of these women are economically disempowered so they are not able to carry on with um, living their daily lives outside of that abusive relationship and so this is a very 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 sad trend that we realize most of the time but however there are structures in place we have tried to put in structures such as providing shelters, not only shelters provided by women advocates or tea, other organizations as well also have shelters across Lagos State and across some, a few other states where we work. The issue of shelter is a big issue because one of the first responses to a victim is for you to remove the victim from the scene of abuse. Mm -hmm. However, in several instances, there is no immediate provision, there is no immediate shelter where that victim can find that circle. Mm -hmm. So that is usually a big problem. And also, again, even at times, a lot of these women are not able to immediately get themselves an alternate accommodation. Mm. So it leaves them in that perpetual abusive relationship. Mm. And so it's a very huge challenge. And so because of all of this, a lot of the time, victims are usually very, um, very um, reluctant to proceed with litigation, legal processes. They would oftentimes want an, a form of admonition and all of that. Yes, in Lagos State, for example, the Lagos State Protection Against Domestic Violence Law provides for what is referred to as a restraining order. The Lagos State gives uh, other um, issues a restraining order whereby the perpetrator is issued a warning, a restraining order to refrain from committing further abuse, either by himself or by through his proxies. You know, at times when the court issues a restraining order, the perpetrator himself will restrain, but then he will not deploy other people to begin to and violate the woman to uh, violate the woman but legacy protection um, order restrains the perpetrator and his or her proxies from further violation so most of the time the woman would rather but even at that when the um, protection order has worked in various instances would protect them and would where they are not able to move away from the scene of violence would protect them within the scene of the violence they would still be very reluctant to go through the process because of this regular adage that says that uh, we cannot go to court and come back and continue being friends. Mm, mm. So most of the time, there's this, even it's, it's usually, it's even very bad when it is sexual violence of particularly minors. You see the parents of the, of the minor um, immediately consenting and agreeing to settling out of court for, for fear of victimization. 
and oftentimes it's also from a point of ignorance mm. so it's a huge problem but it's a work in progress and then, and then as well if you see the rate of discussion in the internet a lot of people tend to say oh is this issue of domestic violence on the increase i would rather say it's not like it's on the increase but the advent of the social media and a lot of several work that organizations such as uh, what see even the work that women radio have been doing as well through their public awareness campaign has actually impacted greatly and that is one of the reasons why we see a lot of people speaking out like before the program started i was listening to the to the jingle that was being played it's very instructive and mm. very educative mm. that jingle does, is not just for the purpose of entertainment it's mm. also very instructive to show that you see there's no sacred cow when it comes to you being a perpetrator you're a perpetrator you're a perpetrator irrespective of who you are there is no sacred out cow somewhere out there because thankfully we now have laws but then the other question is how impactful are the implementation of these laws mm. all right um thank you very very much for your thoughts on the show today it's 20 minutes past 12 from women radio 91.7 nigeria's first and only radio station for women and their families if you are just joining us you're listening to a first responder story a program put together by women radio wfm 91.7 in commemoration of the 16 days of activism against sexual and gender-based violence and today day 13 of this conversation today on the show i have with me first responder emanuela azu the head of programs women advocate research and documentation center what and so far she has been able to provide us with insight about how our organization has been responding to gender-based violence as she has talked about the experience thus far and the common perception and of course the fact about sexual and gender-based violence and the survival of such act now let's talk about the the challenges i know that the challenges can be very overwhelming i mean uh judging from all of the activities that you're doing you talked about how you're very active in all of the 36 states but even though you're not physically present everywhere so it means that there are challenges when it comes to you know tackling the the issue of gender and sexual based violence so let, let's talk about this how have you been able to overcome some of the challenges so far in your journey as a first responder the uh, it's very challenging it's herculean and um, it's a work in progress mm. so it's um i can say that um, due to the rigorous work that organizations such as us and many other organizations out there have done on the issue of awareness creation sensitization it is gradually impacting the space so what are the things we have done in, in most of the communities where we work we first and foremost come into the community introduce ourselves introduce the product the project and then get the buy-in and relevant support of stakeholders within the communities. For instance, if you are working in a state in the northeast Nigeria, we recognize that we recognize that those states have a, a respect for the hulamas, hulamas, sorry, hulamas within the states, within their communities. So we we introduce ourselves and then we also talk with the hulama in the community to get his buy-in and support on the project. So once that is done, and then the for instance, either the paralegals are trained or the community response teams are trained, they are able to then co begin to act. So in, in some other instances as well, they work with the Office of the Traditional Ruler in some communities, as well also work with the, uh, the security agencies as well in some communities, in all communities. Because one of the things that we do as well is that 
we do we organize capacity building training for security agencies within the states where we work we train them on the existing and gender law within their states using the existing gender law within their state to create awareness so to, to enable them to understand that yes there is a law within your state and that this law is is empowering you to prosecute perpetrators of gender-based violence so with all of this it has been um, a little less challenging dealing with victims of gender-based violence and as well we have in some instances dealt with so-called influential and can't and untouchable perpetrators who are big shots within the communities and we're really it was really very challenging to bring them to justice but we eventually were able to bring them to justice a very typical example was a very big legal practitioner that uh, was a perpetrator in somewhere in lagos sometime and then even trying to get the police to arrest him was really very difficult we had to call on other civil society organizations who work very closely with the police service commission to get the ID to issue a command to the Lagos State chapter two. Hello. It was mm. really very hello. Yeah, please go on. Please go on. Yes, and it was really very challenging. But that that's also part of the thing. And eventually we were able to get justice. It was really very influential. It was really very top I know because he's also a legal practitioner, a very high up there senior advocate of Nigeria. Mm. So it was a big issue. Even getting to prosecute him in court. Interestingly, when we filed him in Lagos State, a protection, a restraining order against him, it took almost three months mm. before that matter was assigned in court. Because when at the court registry, once they see his name, ah the registrar himself was unwilling to assign the matter to the court, to the family court until we had to make an issue out of it. We, ha we did a petition against the registrar and all of that mm. before the matter was eventually asked. And so it's, it's, and it's at times very, very challenging. And also because of issues like this is why some victims would rather remain in that silent um, um, environment, understanding that the perpetrator is a very influential person. They are usually very scared that, oh, because the perpetrator will boast, will intimidate and do all of that. So it is already in the psychic of the victim that ah, this man is untouchable. Even when I report him to the police, the police will not be able to do anything. Mm. Yes, you see such instances, but thankfully we have been able to not working as an individual organization, but working also in conjunction with other organizations, in partnering with other organizations, we have been able to successfully litigate such cases um, over time. Mm. All right. I think the first thing I should say is well done, well done, well done, well done. Because the fight against sexual and gender-based violence is not something anyone can do. It's not just a man's business. It is a collective responsibility. So if your organization is doing this much, another organization is doing so much, and then we keep talking about it on radio, um, I'm sure that before we know it, uh, sexual and gender-based violence will become a thing of the past. It might not be eliminated totally, but at least to be reduced to the barest minimum. So well done and thank you for the effort you put into ensuring that you fight against sexual and gender-based violence. Now let's talk about how you've been able to um, create awareness. So when it comes to awareness, how have you been able to do that in your immediate communities and beyond on gender-based violence? Oh, okay, when we talk about, okay, thank you so much. And also, yes, thank you, thank you. The fight against gender-based violence, the collective, um, action it's a collective fight it's a collective struggle no one single individual organization can do it all alone and and for us as an organization we have been able to we carry out outreach programs within the communities we go down to the grassroots communities 
we do also a lot of awareness creation via radio and in recent times via social media platform twitter space and <clears throat> instagram live and all of that we also carry out a public awareness campaign on tv on radio we have done all of that and also in in sometime in 2021 we started working with ministries of uh, women affairs ministries across um lagos um calabar sokoto eboy adamawa Ogwai, a few states across nigeria to work on what we refer to as the costed action plan the costed action plan is actually to because of the advent of the vap law the vap law that has been domesticated in about 34 states in nigeria to work with state ministries of women affairs to give life to the VAP law because the VAP law, the VAP law is not the Bible upon which we act. So it's not the backing upon which we act. So, but if we have the VAP law, there's a need for us to raise awareness of the VAP law to also give more confidence to the populace out there, to victims that yes, there is now an existing law that supports you and that can protect your rights. Mm -hmm. So through the, with the community response team, they carry out awareness creation within the market space. And so one of the things we are trying to do in recent times, which has been proving a bit difficult, but we believe we would get there, is to get the full buy-in of the Nigerian Union of Road Transport Workers, mm -hmm. to get the ex ESCO. Because several efforts in recent times to get the ESCO on board the conversation is proving um, a little bit challenging, but we are getting some forms of uh, results and uh, individual results in individual, like for instance, in a particular area, let's say like uh, Agege area of Lagos. But it will be more effective if we get the support of the state chapter president. You know, the that's so that's one of the things that we believe strongly that if we get their voice and their buy-in in the campaigns that are being conducted periodically monthly within the marketplaces and, and all of that and then we begin to also uh, conduct those awareness question being the, the thing about it is that the campaign that is conducted in the market is carried out by the executive the yaologers and the babologers themselves so we want to get the nurtw also to begin to campaign within the motor park themselves not us as civil society organizations coming to their park but them with our support standing and uh, providing relevant support, maybe flip cards, uh, sorry, maybe flyers, posters, policy briefs and all of that, talking points, just giving such support to them, but they themselves carrying out the awareness, conducting the awareness within their motor parks. That's where that's the way forward for us at the moment. And mm -hmm. so these are the kind of activities and we also work within the communities. When we go to the communities, we get the community people themselves speak to each other campaign to each other, talk to each other within the local communities, grassroots communities, in the churches, in all the places where we, that's, what, that's how we have been able to so far to carry out uh, campaigns and awareness creation on issues around sexual and gender-based violence. Mm. All right. Um. Thank you very, very much for your thoughts on that one. Uh. Let's 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 also talk about this one. I mean, you've you great efforts, great efforts, and even the motor parks on you know all of the effort you're putting in to ensure that they are also on board, and all of that. So well done. Now, as an organization, have you at any point collaborated with security agencies, other responders, stakeholders to ensure that you provide support for? Um, survivors of gender-based violence. Yes, we have in several instances done that because we have uh, engaged, we have conducted several trainings for security agencies, and so we have worked very closely with gender units of various um, departments of police, particularly where it is a very violent perpetrator. We have worked with security agents to effect arrest, and also worked with security agents when it comes to issues of sexual violence, in particular rape, to prosecute and charge the matter to court. 
and it has been um, particularly working with the gender unit. It has, it has always been um, a very work worthy uh, engagement in all at all times when we have had to engage security. It, initially, initially it was not um, was not a very smooth relationship, but with time, as the engagement grew and with the trainings that we're conducting, we now have a more seamless uh, relationship with security agencies. All right. Um. Thank you very, very much for that one. So let's let's wrap up on the show. I mean, it has been an insightful one. Great job. All of the um activities you've put in place to ensure that we nip the menace of sexual and gender-based violence in in the board has been commendable so far. So let's talk about this one as we wrap up on the show. What are your recommendations for the government, the society, religious leaders, parents, women, and girls? For the government, I will say that uh, the government has to be very proactive in ensuring and in ending violence against women um, and girls in Nigeria by, first and foremost, having budgetary allocations for um, the uh, for the ministries of Women Affairs, Ministry of Health and Education, and all uh, relevant ministries that ha- that can effectively um, implement the VAP law of the state, and then not just allocating those funds, also releasing the resources for effective implementation of the VAP law at the state level. And then for religious leaders, I would employ most of the religious leaders to begin to uh, intentionally shift and change their mindset because there is a need for a deliberate shift in mindset before we can begin to see a drastic uh, shift our mindsets to begin to understand that women are no lesser than men in any ramification. We have to begin to shift our mindset to begin to understand that women are equal partners in the in the development space. And until and except that is done, conversations around violence against women will continue and there will be no some for, um, there will be no reduction whatsoever. And mm. also for victims is to say that at any point in time it's zero tolerance for violence against persons. And so victims should also always and always reach out to the relevant authorities. Like your jingle earlier said, the police is the police um, security agencies are there, social welfare offices are there, organizations like WOTI are there. Even Women Radio reports could also come to Women Radio, and I know Women Radio know the appropriate authorities they can refer them to. All they need to do is go somewhere where they can get appropriate referral. Because we also have, of course, you know, we also have um, SAC centers within some um, government hospitals in Nigeria, in Lagos in particular, where you go to the general um, loot, last suit in in, um, in Lagos, you will be referred to the sexual assault referral center located within that space. So all of these efforts is just to uh, assure the victims that their rights will be protected and at all times they will be protected from all forms of violence um, on, uh, against them. Mm. All right. Uh, thank you very, very much for being a part of the conversation today. It has been really amazing to have you join the conversation today. Hi, Manuela. Emanuela. <laughs> okay, she left already. Hi. Okay. Um, thank you very much for being a part of the conversation. Hi, Manuela. Thank you. Hi, hello. Uh, I just blessing. wanted you to say your bye on the show. Okay. So thank you so much and um thank you, Blessing. Well done for the good work you do. Well done, Human Radio, for consistently being the voice 
for women and girls in Nigeria. We really appreciate you. And to all Nigerian women, I'd like to wish us all a, how do I put it, a safer country. Yes. Where someday, in, while we are still alive, would live to realize gender equality mm. in Nigeria. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do well to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, there you have it from Emanuela Azu on the show for today. On day 13 of the 16 days of activism, acknowledging Nigeria's gender-based violence is very crucial. Now, despite the distressing statistics on physical violence, sexual assault, child marriage, and cultural challenges, collective efforts of organizations, professionals, and activists bring hope through awareness, legal advocacy, and vital survival support, paving the path for a safer and fairer society. Many thanks to my guest for today, Emanuela Azu, the head of programs, Women Advocate Research and Documentation Center, WOTC, for sharing a story. And for you, for being a part of the conversation, um, if a responder story, thanks to the producer, Esther Laribe, and executive producer, Tung Ukewale Shunaya. Do well to join us uh, tomorrow, 12 or 5 p.m., as we bring on another first responder to tell her story. My name name is Blessing Agbito. Good afternoon. WFM 91.7.